0: When you're not being utilized as a dog handler, you're basically babysitting a dog while everybody else has fun clearing and doing the cool guy stuff. So not a lot of guys want to be a dog handler, but I remember being in the team room and somebody's like, hey, raise your hand if a dog's ever saved your life, and everybody's hand went up. I wanted to go on every mission, and I learned that if I made myself as valuable as possible, I'm not going to be stuck back home. I'm going to go on every mission, and that's what I'm there to do. going to get through the training and selection to get to Dev group. you shoot a lot the most I've ever shot in my life. And I was top of the class I felt, I felt pretty good. I was like yeah I, I've been shooting pretty hard and I show up on my team and I'm like all right let's let's see what everybody's got and I'm like I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna win this. I'm just gonna win this just so the guys know who I am and you know it's fine. Here's my ego everybody look at it and I got crushed day one and I'm like, okay, I'll shut up you're nobody. There's always somebody better than you, no matter how good you think you are. There's always somebody better. It's cool to see that such a bad situation, training that you put in is like how you're going to act in the real world and just to see that all the training that we had put in and the hours, the countless hours paid off. I don't even have his gear off yet. I just see, I, I made my way to Cairo and I saw that he was still breathing. And as soon as I, come over the radio to say that he's still alive he's wounded it's just that was it like everybody just snapped into action it was flawless and as we're doing that i hear the radio come over for the medevac to come in the kazovac literally just everything just seemed to be working out perfect i mean it was um, such a shitty situation to see how it just all that training paid off and saved his life 100 percent
1: you're listening to the atl bridging the divide podcast brought to you by the Assistant Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but we're strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow we can heal and we can learn from those mistakes and together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back ATO listeners. Before I welcome on today's guest I'd like to give a mention uh, to a huge loss to the dallas police department this past week we lost one of our own uh, he got covid and he passed away last saturday his badge seven four seven six christopher gibson he was my classmate and he was one of dallas's finest and also no doubt best of the blue two five two you're gonna be missed chris before I welcome on today's guest, I want to give a quick intro. Although it was believed their roots began in World War II, called Underwater Demolition Team, the Navy SEALs were officially introduced in 1962 as President John F. Kennedy announced his intention to spend over $100 million to strengthen U.S. Special Forces. As conflicts in Southeast Asia ramped up unconventional warfare, it was clear that that type of warfare was very needed. The SEALs were used in high-profile missions such as Operation Phoenix, the invasion of Granada during the Iran-Iraq War, the Persian Gulf War, the 1993 Somalia Intervention, and the freighter ship Alabama, to name a few. But one mission on the morning of May second, 2011, Operation Neptune and Spear, Found the team concluding a decade long hunt for the most wanted person in US history. Today's guest was a part of that mission. Growing up in small town Lumberton, Texas, our guest knew early he wanted to join the Navy, but he didn't want to just join the Navy, he wanted to become a Navy SEAL. He did just that, graduating class 246. He completed budge training and afterwards became a SEAL. In 2006, he became exposed to a new form of training with military canines being used in special ops that changed the course of his career and also his life. Today, I want to welcome on a very special guest, Will Chesney. Will, the stage is yours. All right. Thanks for the introduction.
0: Appreciate you having me. Thanks, thanks Sir, for coming you. on, Will. Yeah.
1: Sorry to hear about your classmate. Thank you. Yeah, he he was a gentle giant. He yeah. just a, played football at Grambling, just a hulk of man and... Yeah. He'll definitely be missed. All right. You ready to dive into this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Will, when did you decide to get out of Lumberton, Texas and join the SEALs? I decided in high school for sure.
0: I grew up in a trailer park in Southeast Texas and there wasn't much going on in the trailer park. I didn't love school. I was not a very good student. Um, I just wanted to serve my country. I wanted to get out of the trailer park and Being a SEAL just seemed pretty like it was the job for me. Um, So I decided definitely in high school, if not earlier. I knew I wanted to join the military, but I think it was in high school that I was like, all right, I'm going to be a SEAL. I love the water. I wanted to be special forces. I wanted to serve. It just made sense to me. I mean, I heard that SEAL training was some of the hardest training in the world. And I I think I'm pretty tough sometimes. Sometimes I'm not, but I, I just wanted to see if I had it, if I had what it took to to make it through the world's hardest military training. So that was what I had my heart set on.
1: I heard you read many books, uh, to get the mindset and get in the heads of, uh, of, of seals and, and, and the training. What, what type of books did you read?
0: Definitely wrote, <coughs> excuse me, read rogue warrior. If anybody
1: from Richard
0: Marcinko, yep. who just, who just passed not too long ago. So that was definitely one of the, one of the books I remember. And there was a few other ones, um, because uh, Dick Couch had a book, uh, Training something, uh, I forget off the top of my head, but there was a few different books that I read through, and movies, of course, watching Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen, and Commando with Arnold, uh, yeah. that has Arnold. got me, and Arnold, <laughs> that <Yeah>. was it, <laughs> I actually got, I got in a lot of trouble when I was a kid, I, I took a crayon, and after watching Commando, <laughs> I colored myself with a crayon black, and tried to... Oh, yeah. Camouflage myself up. I got I got my ass whooped for that one. You didn't get that off. <laughs> my mom was
1: mad. Yeah, she was pretty upset. Oh, at least she yeah. didn't try to carry around a log over your shoulder yeah. like he was doing in the beginning of that. Oh. I'm sure I probably did try. <laughs> did you?
2: Did you? Or would you admit to jumping out of the back of a jeep into the the bay? Oh yeah, from a bridge. Yeah, right. Okay. It's awesome. It's the best part of the movie. Got to try. Right.
0: Exactly. Got to try it.
1: <laughs> Once you decided you wanted to go ahead and join the navy and. And become a seal, you had to go tell the tell your parents that's what you wanted to do. How'd that go? It was weird.
0: It was uh, my mom's hard of hearing, so she's kind of hard to communicate with sometimes. And I don't, I think I don't know if she actually understood what I was going to go do, but she understood it was dangerous enough to where she didn't really want me to leave. But my dad, I'm sure he knew it was dangerous. He understood more, but uh, he was all about it. Just knew I was dedicated. It was a dangerous job but it was you know it's serving my country and giving back and sure it's dangerous but he was i'm sure proud a little hesitant but not as not as hesitant as my mom she was uh yeah she wasn't on board as much as he was but after a little bit of talking i I definitely convinced him and it was not a problem they knew i think they could see how much i i wanted to go and there was nothing that was going to change my mind and i was i was 17 when i joined so they had to sign the paperwork. They had to sign the waiver for me to join, but it didn't really matter. I was going to turn 18 soon, anyways. So once I was 18, it didn't matter. I was I was going, and I think they could I think they could see how much I wanted to go. Nothing nothing was going to stop me.
1: I, you know, I read your book. We're going to get into your book later on. Uh, we're going to talk about that and what it's about. But I read that when you once you join the Navy, the the uh, the basic training is what it is but you said it kind of didn't really prepare you for what was to come uh entering buds and now i got to fat
0: in boot camp i remember some dude he's like man i was a little scared of you when you first showed up and now you're just fat i'm like oh cool <laughs> thanks man <laughs> dude, I, we uh, we had some fun we'd like do some wrestling around in boot camp but it's like as far as working out there's a lot of marching i remember and there wasn't a whole, we had like the seal motivator thing in the mornings we could go to sometimes, but it just wasn't, there was a lot of good food. Like donut for my shipmate was a thing they would say as you're going through the chow line, like all the fat kid food and they, you could yeah. definitely eat as bad as you wanted
1: to. There's plenty of dessert to eat. My my old, my old partner was, uh, well, they, he was telling me about diet privates at the head and, and, and he was a bigger guy. He still is. Um, shout out to John. That they would actually take off, uh, take off food from his trade and give it to the, the skinnier guys, yeah. and, and he'd lay in his bunk, barely <laughs> sleep because he was so hungry at night. That's funny. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear about that? Did, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, some,
0: you got to do what you got to do. He clearly, he clearly survived. But yeah, there was some times where, like, if you wanted to do dive motivator training with the other instructors that were getting you prepared, that you couldn't go do the other physical training, which was weird to me. I'm like, come on. I'm trying to get ready for SEAL training, but it was fine. We had to. Once you get through boot camp, you go to your A school, and I had plenty of time
1: in A school to get ready. And it's on you at the end of the day, yeah, to be prepared. So, well, that's the only thing. Self motivation has got to, you know, that's got to carry you, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. So, entering Buds, can you describe that training and how it started and and how that kicked off? Oh, I remember showing up at Buds. It was great. Uh, a little, it was very intimidating,
0: but. I came from a trailer park in Southeast Texas. The next thing you know, I'm on a beach in Coronado, California, living on living on the water. I mean, it was great. A um, bunch of solid guys, bunch of jokes, bunch of good people. Um, just got to get through the hard parts of training.
1: How many were you in your class when you started up?
0: It was probably a couple hundred. Oh, wow. Um, we started off uh, with NDOC a month long i think it was a month long before actually the six months of bud start so I, I think from the numbers that come to mind which could be completely wrong i think we started with 188 but i think we had more than that on in indoc so it was just a couple hundred and then we graduated with 22 original guys and 44 total so yeah if you're injured they'll roll you back into the next class mm-hmm. if you're if you're good if you're not then they'll just We'd yeah. Fire you. Yeah. But um if you're a good dude and you have potential, they'll let you heal up, <clears throat> take care of injuries and roll into the next class. So we had forty four total, but twenty two originals.
1: So that many people, did they get injured? Uh it that they got injured. Yeah, they got injured, injured and much?
0: rolled back into our class. Wow. So
1: yeah. I would imagine injuries is probably Yeah, we had pretty some, prevalent there. Yeah, I
0: mean it's no joke. We had one guy's hip socket break in half on a run, just like you're just there's people that die during training. I mean, safety is number one, but it's still it's some of the hardest training in the world. and You have guys that just don't make it and get hypothermia or some guy just falls over in the chow line one day, just dies. You just never know.
1: Well, it's the toughest training for a reason because you're you're creating the the toughest weapons that our, our country has. They
0: make you want it. If you're supposed to lay down your life to save your teammate and get in a gunfight and not back down, you got to prove that you really are going to do that at the end of the day. You can't just say it you got to actually prove it right in order to do that you got to got to make it a little stressful
1: <laughs> can you describe hell week and and uh si- significance of that
0: hell week is five and a half days of of uh, buds <clears throat> it's in first phase so there's three phases in buds first phase is all pretty much physical it's just a beat down every day of different evolutions is what we call them so it's like log pt or surf passage with boats where they just make your life miserable and just beat you down with physical training and make you quit that's they're just there to get in your head and say it's what 80 percent middle mental and it really is like they just beat you down it's it's physical too but they definitely try to get in your head a lot and make you quit that's that's literally that that's what they're there for So I think it's the first four weeks you learn things, you learn how to do the obstacle course, learn a few, a few things, but it's really there just to see if you have what it takes to make it past the first four weeks and the hell week. And once you get past hell week, then they actually start, you have a little bit of rest time and then they start training you and you go into diving and land warfare, which is weapons and all that stuff. Uh, So you do your first four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is, and it's all beat down. And then you get through hell week, which is five and a half days of no sleep. And they really, really beat you down. Uh, it was the best sleep I've ever gotten in my entire life.
1: After it was over. After it was
0: over. Yeah. I'm, by hands down. We did a five and a half knock on my lotion swim. And that was the second best sleep I ever got in third phase. But hell week, that was the best sleep I've ever gotten. I mean, by the end of it, you're so chafed and raw and beaten down. Like you're, you're walking around and you just. I know we're on microphone, people can't see, but you're just trying to not let your clothes touch your body because everything is raw. Chat. It's terrible. I mean, they keep you cold, wet, and sandy the whole time, and it's nonstop. Like, your people are hallucinating towards the end. And they're just there to make you quit. I mean, the first three days of Hell Week is pretty much when you get all your quitters, and the last couple of days is just keeping guys moving. And Not that you can't quit, but most of the guys are just done within the first three 3 days and they just beat you down and then the last couple of days are just keeping you moving keeping you keeping you going for for the rest of
1: it it's just nonstop it's, it's nonstop stop. have there been any guys that are like just i can't do this I, I'm, they quit and then i try again later they allow oh, yeah. that even the, 100% they, oh really okay mm-hmm. we
0: definitely had some guys in my class that were previous quitters nothing against them it's it's no joke i mean just the first what we call breakout Is um, it's chaos. They they create chaos. They make it rain with the fire trucks. They spray the water in the air, and they have explosions going off everywhere. The machine guns are going off, and they just they tell you to find like they they stress teamwork and staying with your boat crew. But they make it to where it's impossible to stay with your people. So they mentally fuck you from the very beginning. And I remember very clearly there's a lot of stuff that i forget these days especially with the brain injury but like i lost my group of guys and i have an instructor yelling at me in my face and i remember thinking like this is this is crazy i lost my guys panicking i remember panicking and like okay this is all just a game that's what they're there i mean we had guys quitting 100 like just non-stop in the very beginning just you can't take that kind of stress so they just make it complete chaos and it's called breakout and it doesn't stop from there it's just they just hit you with that big, you're sleeping in a tent, and the next thing you know, it's
3: chaos. Was there any sort of phrase or anything specific that you had to tell yourself from day one all the way to the end? Like you said, oh, this is just a game. Yeah. It, was there a technique that you used to enable you to push all the way through? Were you part of the 22? Mm-hmm. So you yeah. were part of the, the yeah, originals. I, was lucky. I didn't
0: get any injuries or anything like that. And no, no phrase in specific, just... Just don't quit. What are you there for? Are you really there? Do you really want it? Or are you just there because, I don't know. You just got to really want it. So whatever phrase you had to tell yourself. And I remember there was one point we were sitting there eating they, for the first couple of days. And this is in Hell Week. You run down the beach. I mean, I forget how many miles it is. It's, you got to... It's crazy. You carry the boats on your head one way, all the way down like eight to ten miles. I forget exactly. And then you stay a couple of days there, and you got to run back with the logs or something. And anyways, we were down at the. We did our run down to 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 the area we were at, and it was an evolution. And I remember we got there, and we're sitting there on the right by the water, and we're sitting there eating an MRE, and we had made it, and it wasn't that bad. It was a nice sunny day. It was warm. I was getting to eat, and just got through that kick in the nuts evolution. And I just remember sitting there eating and it was nice and pretty comfy just hearing the bell ring and ring and ring. And I'm like, why are people quitting right now? I was like, we're getting to wow. eat and we're getting to chill. So it's just, I don't know. Just yeah. you got to find those things. But when I'm in the water getting surf tortured and I'm freezing and I'm just, they're telling you to spread your legs so you get hyperthermia and you get as cold as possible. And you're sitting there like, I don't care. Like, no, I'm not doing this. And you're just having these waves crash over you in the middle of the night in the ocean. I'm like, yeah, I can see why people can quit there. So that was when I had to tell myself, just go into my happy place or whatever. Think happy thoughts. Right. <laughs> Do whatever you, it'll pass. They can't keep you in here forever. Or you're, right. It's either this or you're just going to die eventually, so it's fine. But as long as you don't quit, whatever you have to tell yourself, just not to quit.
2: So I have a question. Well, I guess just, just curiosity. So as you find yourself, not to jump forward, but just to look at this in perspective, <clears throat> so you go through this training and you've had to uh, find your happy place, I guess, like Happy Gilmore. What was that movie he was on? Mm-hmm. Where he but, uh, but That's exactly it. But you, uh, you find yourself uh, keeping your mind occupied with other things. But have you ever, throughout your career, or has anybody else ever talked to you in the same line of work where you guys are in battle or whatever it may be, uh, mission-specific, that it becomes so hellish that... You guys are able to revert to the utter chaos and you think of that like hey I've been through something like this similar already or is it once it's ingrained in you in specifics like hey you've already been through this you've been through hell week you've been through all the training which is a continuous beat down uh at that point you just become it just becomes part of you right so I mean is there mm-hmm. something where you like think back and you're like uh I've I've already done this, or is that just something where you just you've been through this now, and this is just a past, and it's just part of your body, it's ingrained in you, and that's your that's your force multiplier to keep moving through whatever it is.
0: I mean, you definitely know that you can take whatever they throw at you. I mean, it gets worse, but in training, you're just there to prove yourself, prove to yourself and everybody else that you have what it takes to be able to make it to the team. But once you're on the team, it is definitely miserable just sitting around in the cold or whatever you have to suck up to. Uh, to be there but you're actually working you're actually there getting rid of bad people so it makes it completely worth it with the people that you love and care about and that have proven themselves as well so it's it sucks during training but it's just kind of like you said puts it in your mind that I I can take pretty much whatever I I know I'm going to die before I let anything bad happen to my friends and you have already proven that you can take it like you've already been through hell week like I know I, I can push my body to the limit and I'm not much past that. I'm just going to die anyway. So it's like, yeah, I can, I can push it to the limit. And
2: yeah. It's almost like it exploits your weaknesses, but it exemplifies, you know, your psych, your psychological power, I guess, to overcome what most people would be extreme discomforts, but extreme. eventually you're just not much farther than that. It becomes a just, discomfort and you're, you're going like, to shut well, down. I've, I've done it. Yeah. So I just, you've already been pushed to that brink. Yeah. So you've already been there. So now you're off the cliff and you're moving forward That's with what, whatever you do. It's kind of yeah, it's eye awesome. opening
0: to see what your body can take, because you wouldn't think that you can do that for five and a half days of like nonstop beat down, and you're literally a hamburger by the end of it. They're so raw and chafed and mentally not there that you just know you can push your body to the brink of death. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. And then now we're here to do a real job. This isn't training anymore. Like my buddy's life and my life is on the on the line. Like this is no doubt. I'll I'll go to the yeah. end.
2: Yeah, it's just a testament to the you know, the power of your mind and your will. Seriously. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> can you
1: uh, describe the significance of the bell? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Can you let the listener know what that is? Is <clears throat> Yeah, in
0: order to quit and buds they have we carry around a bell everywhere, the instructors carry around a bell, and all you have to do is ring the bell three times and uh you can quit it at any time. No matter what. They actually encourage it. <laughs>
3: of course they do (laughs) i bet so were there people that you saw ringing the bell that you you would have never thought
0: a hundred percent i mean they had guys that graduated that is like that guy will never be a seal like just doesn't look like it and you have guys that are just athletes that are college swimmers or whatever it looks they look like arnold and you're like oh yeah that guy look at him he's gonna make it and you put him in a weird situation that's i mean you put Tie your hands and feet together. Fill your face mask up with water. It's funny how some guys will just panic. Gotcha you much. never know. And then that, like, yeah, there were some guys that were in the class like, yeah, he's he's gonna do well. They'd hung out with seals before, and they were tough, good dudes. And all of a sudden, they're in some water evolution. They can't handle it, and they're gone.
2: Hmm.
0: You're hanging out with them in the morning, and then after the evolution, you never see them again.
2: Will, were you born physically gifted?
0: I was not. <laughs> no. I wouldn't say that. I'm pretty comfortable in the water, so I'm I'm happy with that. Um, did you grow up around the water? I did not. I just happened to be like I'm a slow swimmer. That was one of my things uh, that got me in buds was the swim. You have to do two mile timed ocean swims, and I was a pretty slow, not not the most physical. I was not a, a very great athlete. I mean, we had some great athletes in the class, but middle of the road. Let's just say middle of the pack. Um, but I was very comfortable, so we have this, uh, 50 meter underwater swim, you jump in the pool, <clears throat> can't kick off. You have to do a front flip, start swimming 25. Once you get to the other end, you can kick off and then you just got to make it back. As long as you touch the wall. I mean, even if you don't touch the wall and you pass out, you, you pretty much pass cause you've proven that like, Hey, I can, I'm going to push it until I pass out and die. So it's okay. You pass. <laughs> but that was, I was so slow that uh, it was really, uh, It's getting to me mentally because I I bought this thing to to strengthen my lungs and I was working on my breath hold. I'm pretty sure I had one of the longest breath holds in the class. And even after I got done with the swim, I I did it. When my instructor pulled me up, he's like, you are the slowest motherfucker I have ever seen. I'm like, hey, did I pass? I worked on that breath hold. (laughs) I just knew my weaknesses and I just wasn't a very gifted swimmer. I mean, running, people would get mad at me because I was a little, I had a, had a big ass and i remember one of my teammates telling me he's like did i see like i don't know how you run so fast he's like i get so mad at you i want to punch you in the face because i see your big ass just beating me on every on every one of these runs i'm like well at least i got that going for me because the swims aren't doing like swims are a little slower but just ended up working out had a, had a good uh i had a bad swim buddy in the beginning and we did not get along and then ended up getting a good swim buddy and we we worked together really well to just learn and got faster and learned how to swim straighter and in a straight line as you're out in the middle of the ocean. You gotta if you're swimming diagonally, you're gonna just add more time. But we just eventually learned and learned how to adapt. And times got faster and ended up overcoming it. So that was my weakness. I had to just learn how to some guys maybe it might be the O course, some guys it might be the run. Mine mine was the swim. And everything else I just made up for is like, okay, it's run day. I can relax a little bit. I know I can I can get this, but on swim days it was like, ah. Here we go. An hour of pain.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the water, um, I read this in your book. Can you explain what drown-proofing is? That, sound, that sounds like the definition of hell.
0: Drown-proofing is great for me. It was terrible for some guys. We lost, like I said, one of the dudes that I thought would make it. He was awesome, awesome athlete, awesome person, and he just couldn't, couldn't do it. If It was drown-proofing and the face mask stuff, but drown-proofing was they tie your hands behind your back and your feet together. And they throw you into the pretty deep end of the pool and you just have to stay calm and learn how to sink while exhaling and then kick off the bottom and take your breath when you get to the top. And you have to do that for a long period of time. I forget exactly what the evolution was, but they make you do it for a long time. And then you have to swim. So if you your feet tied together and your hands tied behind your back, you learn not have to pick up a mask off the bottom of the pool. You have to swim to the side. You have to do a front flip or a back flip or whatever it is. And you have to do these certain tests. And the whole time you just have to stay comfortable. That was fairly easy for me. Don't get me wrong. It was, it's intimidating, but I would much rather you tie my hands and feet together and kick me in the pool than do another two mile ocean swim. Just, you know, an hour and a half of pain of kicking and those fins are hurting your ankles and your hip flexors and just not fun. I'd much rather I'd much rather do the staying cool and calm and collected in the water.
1: What was that water temperature? Was the water temperature? Oh, it was cold. They keep it was, cold. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course. They keep it cold all the time. Cold, wet, and sandy <laughs> all the time. Ugh. Just quit. Just quit. That's all they, they want have you the to hot do. Tub over there by the bell. Though. Oh, dude,
1: <laughs> this could they'll all go out. away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, no, seriously. <laughs> all the instructors in the hot tub. <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> Yeah. one of the worst. <laughs> the martini. One of the worst things.
0: Yeah, was uh, they'll do that to you all the time. Like, oh, it's all right. We'll give you some pizza or whatever they have. Donuts. Will give you food. You get to go to sleep. Come I on. I bet they would so, too. Here. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They weren't lying. Hundred the percent. The instructors would have their donuts or whatever they had, and like, come on, come on, just come ring the bell, and we'll
2: cup of coffee and.
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. It's not for everybody. Just come over here, just ring the bell. You don't want to be here anymore. This sucks. We'll give you pizza and hot, a hot, yeah, you get a hot away, shower. You, and you get to go sleep. Wow. They, they love it.
1: No drown proof. I it's mean, it's like it's like literally like a Satan sitting on on one shoulder. Oh, and I'll and tell you the get, story
0: yeah. here. And It was probably one of the worst. So so everybody. I mean, it's like bunch of us a bunch of law enforcement or a bunch of military yeah. just hanging it all have the same kind of attitude and everybody thinks they're a comedian everybody's got jokes it's all it's all fun and games so i mean they just make it as as fun as possible they got to be there doing the training and so if you're out there having to do it might as well make it somewhat fun and yeah, yeah i mean
2: the monotony and doing that uh, over and over again, right
0: so they they come they come up with their own jokes and they come up with their own sadistic ways to try to make you quit i mean that's literally what they're there for. What is? How can I make the most people quit today? So somebody had the great idea. Like I said, when we did Hell Week, you have Breakout, which was chaos. Actually, like I said, it, it, it that was the mental part. The physical part wasn't that big. I mean, it sucked. You had to crawl through. We, we ended up staying in tents on the beach, and we'd have to piss off the berm into this water that we had to get in later, and it was just terrible, and they're beating you down, and it was just – awful but that was chaos and it was more of like a mental thing when you lose all your people and you think like i can't do this this is just the beginning and like quit quit right now because this is how it's going to be the whole time so you get a couple of hours of sleep during a week and uh i think it's two two two-hour blocks and those were the worst so they let you i mean you're getting your ass kicked for a day, two days, however long you're into it. And those that's the worst in the beginning. they just nonstop beating you, beating you, to where your whole body's going to turn to raw hamburger almost. And they give you warm clothes and they give you a nice meal and they put you back in that same tent and let you sleep for just a couple of hours. Just enough to where you're nice and comfy and warm. And then when they wake you up the second time, they don't scream at you and get your adrenaline going. They just, hey, wake up. Everybody come wake up. how comfy are you like you're pretty warm good everybody's everybody's nice and warm and comfy like just go stand up on the berm please like like really nice and like not screaming at all (laughs) keeping everybody all happy like who is just please yell at me to get my to get my blood flowing but no they're like hey please go stand on the berm and just everybody wave by to the sun just wave by oh it's nice and warm so you sat there and everybody's waving to the sun as it gets colder and colder and they're like hey go go sit out in the ocean or go 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 walk out towards the ocean not yelling and then that was the only time i think in the whole class when they they say take seats so you go walk out into the ocean everybody locks arms and they say take seats and that's when you go from nice and warm a little bit of sleep to get in that cold san diego water and that was i think the only time that nobody listened when they said take seats and everybody stood there (laughs) and then they got mad to like take seats or you're going to pay for it and that was one of the worst times of Buds. I can wow, I can really man, remember cool. that. Just standing there that's waving cool, at the huh? sun, being all nice and warm. And they're like, all right.
1: Oh,
3: man. What a mental...
1: Yeah. You know the, you know the instructors. They just sit around yeah. thinking of ways to crack yeah. themselves up and laugh their ass. You know? Just, oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. They do skits. So they'll... Just rehearsing it. They'll make you yeah. get up there and have all the students go through skits and tell jokes and different things to keep themselves entertained. But it's all... <laughs> it's great. It was... It's it was for a reason it's for a reason I, I made i made the best friends i've ever oh made i mean even when i got to my team i have my best friends from buds that are not i guess more important but they're just my that bond from going sure. through all that is just my core group of friends is solid right there like you build a bond going through yeah. all that pain and suffering and
2: you literally left your soul with those people it's, Literally. They make you earn it. <laughs> you
0: like, you're not it. even
2: yourself anymore. You just left your entire body with these individuals. You can never break that ball. You
0: push it to the <laughs> limit, for sure.
1: Good
2: God. When you were at
1: the end, you wrapped it up for uh, gradu- graduation. Can you explain how that was and how that feeling was getting through that hell?
0: It was uh, – I don't have any kids yet. not married, but it was the most important day. I mean, uh, the Bin Laden thing was a pretty big deal. Don't get me wrong. We're going to get into that. Yeah. That was one of the most important days of my life. I mean, graduating high school didn't mean nothing. I, the most important day, for sure.
2: Is it, is it true they take that trident and stamp it on your chest?
0: They can, if you want. They don't make you do anything, but,
2: yeah. I mean,
0: it's a pretty important day. Yeah, There's tradition that goes into the Navy and military and SEALs. and
2: That's cool. If you want to participate, you can.
3: Isn't that where you got that scar right between your eyes? Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) What was worse? Started your own tradition.
0: Yeah, the grenade or that.
1: Yeah, or that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what do you attribute growing up to get you through that? Uh, Great family, I guess. My dad and grandparents and mom just being a decent person. I mean, nobody's perfect. We all have our flaws. Um, But I definitely learned a lot from, from the people that raised me just to be a, don't quit. Don't give up on the things that you really want. Just do your best. Um, just help other people and just be a good person as much as you can. Like I said, we all make mistakes and we all go through bad times, but that's it. It's a, it's just, I got lucky with a good family.
1: Moving forward to uh, graduating to 2006, you were introduced to a new type of training in, uh, in the military. Can you describe that with, with the, uh, working dogs? Yeah, we
0: were on a training trip. I was at Seal Team Four, and we were doing some urban movement. And uh, somebody had come from a different team, another handler, and he said he had—he uh, was going to show us a dog demonstration. No idea. We'd never, I'd never—I'd never seen a working dog before in my life. Not even probably hunting. Um, just had my own personal dogs growing up it was cool. It was a really great, it was a short, simple demonstration. A guy in a bite suit. I think he had one of us. It was one of us in a bite suit. And, uh, all he did was just go out in the field and run. The handler let the dog go and just shows how he can apprehend him. And it was, uh, it was cool to see. It was a very basic demonstration of a guy in a suit, take off running, lets the dog go, dog hits him. He falls over. Everybody laughs. Cause it's funny watching one of the guys eat shit. And, uh, it seemed like a lot at the time but it really wasn't like looking back now after going through a bunch of dog training it was just a pretty basic simple dog demonstration but it was very eye opening it was cool to see it wasn't really i was pretty new at the time still and really wasn't really sure what the head shed thought about it or how they would be applied real world but as i progressed throughout my career i definitely saw it especially when i showed up at dev group and saw it real world it was um very eye opening just the amount of lives that were saved Um, when you're not being utilized as a dog handler, you're basically babysitting a dog while everybody else has fun clearing and doing the cool guy stuff. So not a lot of guys want to be a dog handler, but on my first deployment, I saw, I mean, there's a, there's a saying in the book, I remember being in the team room and somebody's like, Hey, raise your hand if a dog's ever saved your life. And everybody's hand went up. Those dogs are just legit. And I saw that on my first deployment and I'd been pretty lucky through my career. I'd gone through comm school as a new guy. And a lot of guys don't want comm school. It's a pain in the ass to fill everybody's radio five minutes before the mission starts. And you're just—anyways, it's it's not the best school to go to. But getting that school, getting Sniper and a few other schools makes myself more valuable. And that was very eye-opening. To I wanted to go on every mission. And I learned that if I made myself as valuable as possible, I'm not going to be stuck back home. I'm going to go on
3: every mission, and that's what I'm there to do. So up to that point, what would you consider your— your specialty i know uh, eventually it ended up being the canine handling Mm -hmm. but you got your your cqb you know your your sniper um all your your warfare warfare specialties what was what did you consider yourself best at before being the dog handler it's a
0: new guy i was a comms guy which is a great great school to go to i mean
3: can you describe that a little bit
0: you're just making everybody's radio good to go and you're doing communications back to base or whatever is important so it's a very very important job especially as a new guy but it's also a pain in the ass because everybody's radio seems to drop or mess up right before the mission so you're running around as a new guy you can't mess anything up and you get a lot of responsibility on your shoulders but it was great so you had that school and then i got sniper school and then i got uh, jtac school which is talking to airplanes dropping bombs
3: oh cool And once you have
0: those schools you're pretty valuable like and that, you, that unless that school
3: is a hard one to get
0: it's it's not easy i had to really i had to kick and scream for sniper school i had to that was not the easiest one for me to get like i really had to push for that and uh like other than that like what medic like i didn't get that but it was you just make yourself as valuable as possible if you want to go on every mission and that's what i did and i kind of accidentally happened by me being a new guy getting comm school and then me fighting for the other schools I was like oh this is opening if I make myself valuable I won't miss out on the good on the good stuff <laughs> yeah. so then once I get to dev group I mean Cqb's everybody's specialty at dev group it's it's your bread and butter like if you're not good at it you go away and it's hard to keep up with the world's best literally the world's sure. best I'm yeah. like I think I'm somebody you're fucking nobody <laughs> when you show up there so you got to make yourself valuable or you're gonna go away um,
3: yeah I remember one time you telling me that you were kind of almost not getting cocky because it's really not within your personality but but within yourself getting a little bold a little brave like man i got this and you show up and you're like oh i'll sit back down yeah going up against some of those 100 percent phenomenal cqb guys
0: going to get through the training and selection to get to dev group you shoot a lot the most i've ever shot in my life and i was top of the class i felt I felt pretty good. I was like, yeah, I, I've been shooting pretty hard and I show up in my team and I'm like, all right, let's, let's see what everybody's got. And I'm like, I'm going to, yeah. I'm just going to, I'm gonna just going to win I'm this. I'm just going to win it. this just so the guys know who I am. And you know, it's fine. <laughs> you no, know, no big deal. Here's my ego. Everybody look at it. And I got crushed day one. <laughs> right. And I'm like, okay, I'll shut up. when you show up to the team it's funny as your new guy they're like hey introduce yourself and you start introducing yourself everybody yells at you shut the fuck up and that was that sounds familiar yeah 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 you guys (laughs) probably know that deal so that was basically another way of like all right i'm gonna show how these guys how good of a shooter i am and i get beat and it's like basically like you're nobody you always there's always somebody better than you no matter how good you think you are there's always somebody better you mentioned something ego good or bad no it's eye-opening sometimes um didn't really see it. My ego got out of control there for a long time. And it's always good to be put in your place, for sure.
1: Do you think it has a place? Definitely.
0: It's probably saved my life, and I was at the top of the food chain. And to get there, you have to think you're somebody. And uh, I definitely did, but it can it can go bad real quick because your ego can get out of control, and it, and it for sure got out of control with me. What about now? No, I... I I try to do things that put me in my place for sure because I I remember who I thought I was. And I remember the fall of uh, that ego getting crushed and I don't ever want that to happen again. So I I put myself or I try to put myself in situations where my ego gets put in check, whether that's going to jujitsu and getting choked out or going to a range full of really good shooters and getting put in my place again. There's always somebody better than you. So I try to put myself in those situations a little more often so my ego doesn't get out of control.
1: Speaking of the K-9, we're going to talk about the K-9, Cairo. Can you describe when you first met him, what what was that like?
0: Uh, Yeah, we um, got back from a deployment, and I was supposed to get a dog named Falco. Right before that deployment ended, he ended up getting shot, saving us. Um, Two guys hiding in an ambush falco bit one guy the other guy shot him falco was supposed to be my dog on on them returning home from that deployment he just he obviously didn't make it um so when we got home there was a whole group of new dogs i forget exactly how many maybe six to ten and i, I was no clue what the dog world i mean i just seen what the dogs can do for us on on the deployment and i was like okay this is um a valuable i need to make myself more valuable uh, i got to keep up with all these guys. If not, I'm going to go away. So I love dogs. This, dog, this, uh, this job seems pretty cool, um, and I I'm, I'm not, might not miss out on submissions if I'm, if I'm a dog handler. But I really had no uh, idea what I was getting myself into, and um, I definitely learned pretty quick. I learned a lot of life skills. I, I'm a pretty quiet guy. So having to step out of my comfort zone to talk to a dog and remember being there like, Hey, good boy. And the guy's like, Hey, that ain't going to fly. You need to put some enthusiasm behind that dude. So being a seal and everybody makes fun of everybody, you know, you're good boy. Good boy. I'm a seal. Nobody give me any ship to go. (laughs) Like I don't care anymore. This dog has to save my life. I'll sound like a 13 year old little girl and whatever to communicate with a dog, you have to communicate with a, thing that doesn't speak your language so the you baby can't, talk yeah, yeah you got to do whatever it takes like and so i i definitely grew as a person learning stepping out of my comfort zone and who gives a shit put that ego aside like that right. dog's going to save your life or your friend's life
2: it's like getting in that cold water for the first time you got to raise that voice and oh, woo, woo, woo. yep <laughs> you got to get it over do with whatever, whatever you yeah. go ahead and make fun of me <laughs> yep
0: you just got to put your ego aside and do you know, what you got to do
2: in your your book no ordinary dog uh, what a great book. I mean, I I can't say anything bad about it. I mean, I was just, first of all, I'll admit, it's it's a tearjerker. Uh, but you do an excellent job in explaining, you know, the process of these dogs, of how they're selected, what they're selected for, and then the uh, not necessarily the in-depth training piece, but just the tiers of training that these animals have to go through and accomplish to, much like y'all, moving up into the uh you know a tier 1 special forces team and it's just it's incredible just to hear the story of of uh how they're selected number one and two you know what you guys look for in them and then they may not even make the selection process after you you know after you have a bunch of them come through the selection process much like y'all it's just uh it's incredible you did an excellent job explaining that whole yeah. entire process
0: yeah thank you I'm very happy with how it turned out it's like a navy seal marley and me but um, I can't take all the credit. I shout out to my go starter, Joe. He definitely earned his paycheck on helping me put together Cairo's story. And it's an honor to not only tell Cairo's story and a big piece of history, but just to kind of bring attention. He said, "You people have no idea. I had no idea. And I was in the military. And I mean, even with law enforcement canines, just the amount of training and the, the value that the dogs bring to the table and how much it takes to, if I was just watching a video the other day of a dog that just probably didn't have good training and he was not engaging the suspect and just how much it takes to have that confidence in your dog to where you know like this is a live animal that you need to go into a war zone and save your life by engaging somebody and biting somebody and around gunfight and stay in the fight and I remember on my first deployment it's like I don't know if he's put in hours and hours and countless hours of training and you still don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna react it's a live animal you don't know what's gonna happen so it's it takes a lot of time and dedication and everything that goes into it so it's it's great to be able to kind of open people's eyes to like it's just not a dog that we went to the pound and got or we bought him and just put him a little bit of training it's like it just like you said with us on our selection i had to go through hell like hell week and it was pushing my body to the verge of death that's just us and then now you have a dog that has to go into the same kind of war situations that you're going into it's quite the process of going through their selection training, my selection and training their selection training, grouping everybody together, continuing the training and then having them prove that you prove that you can go into a war zone and do the job and then them proving that they're going to do their job too. it's a
2: yeah I think you hit that on bit. the head too just uh, most people don't put any thought into it because they're not tied to that animal right so you you look at an animal for instance like our explosive detection dogs. You know, people think that you just walk a dog on a leash. You walk it down there. It finds an odor and it sits down, and it's and it's great. And it finalizes, and that's the end of it, right? But uh, not to compare one to the other, but just the working animal itself. Nobody realizes that all of the intricacies that go into that animal, and so not only much. that, but you, the handler, the uh, man. It reshapes you. It trains you. It does. And the dog reacts off you. It reacts off an environment. So it's uh, it's just so crazy just thinking about all the, all the intricacies intricacies that go into just training the animal not only physically but emotionally and then how you have to train yourself and it, i mean you, you think of your environment if you're if you're an, if you're part of the entry team your environment is what you see right it's 360 degrees yours is the same though you have people covering you yours is the same but now your responsibility is this animal that's in front of you as well. So now your your world has just become even larger of responsibility. Uh, you know, not to minimize anyone else's role, but it's just people just don't think about all the work and effort that goes into one of these animals.
0: You can't blame them. Yeah. until you're in how that situation, you know right? How would you know it? Yeah. Even even me being in the military, I I didn't even but it's understand.
2: Very impressive. So
0: and I learned a lot. Like I said earlier, we learned about um, stepping out of my comfort zone and putting your ego aside. That was a big lesson learned from the dog training, and then. Looking at yourself from a different perspective, like a, a, like if I'm being an asshole and I'm just in a bad mood and it, the emotions run up and down the leash is a real saying. Yeah. If I'm having a bad day and I'm, he's not listening and I'm just making it worse. I'm. It takes so much training to go into him that I'm taking away from that by just one day of me being upset because I'm something's going wrong at home that goes down the least to him. And then all those weeks or months of training that we put in, it takes one day to backpedal. And next thing you know, just, I just needed to look at myself. Like, am I doing productive training? Am I just, do I need to take a step back? And it's hard to be like, look, I'm having a bad day. I, I am just not being productive. Like I need to just take five minutes or I need to take the whole day off and put, put my ego aside again. And we're there to do an important job, but it's like, Hey, I'm, look at yourself from a different perspective like are you actually what are you doing like i'm making this worse you think like i need to be here to train but i'm being an asshole you're ruining that dog you're not there just because you think i'm gonna put in these hours right now because i'm a seal and this is important we're gonna life or death situations like you need to look at yourself from a different perspective like hey man either having your friend do that or you doing that yourself which is a very hard very hard thing to do it's like one of the the most valuable things i learned is to like just look at yourself like what are you are you being productive or are you just making things worse
2: and you have to you have to possess that selflessness because that dog is not only yours but it's there for everybody it's there to save the lives of more than just you it's more about you and that animal i mean so your selflessness that has to go into that as well it's just incredible so but anyway sorry i rolled off
1: cairo got injured he got shot can uh can you describe that and uh what his injuries were and the recovery afterwards
0: yeah and uh one of the deployments that me and cairo were on and i said we were supposed to get that uh, dog named falco falco was a great dog had a little bit of issues with him in the beginning with uh some bark and hold stuff that was trained into him but once he got a couple of bites and he was seasoned, he turned into a monster. And unfortunately, he sacrificed his life for us. But um, getting Cairo on one of the deployments, it was almost a situation just like Falco's two guys. They did this quite often. Uh, two guys fled. We chased them. They ended up on We were work at night. So we are on night vision. It's kind of hard to see somebody on night vision sometimes if you're, you can blend in somewhat well. So they'll, they'll try to just set up on ambushes on us. And that's when the dogs come in handy, uh, two guys fled, we chased them down. They were hiding from us, sent the dog out. They weren't listening. We tried to do their call outs, escalation of force, the normal stuff. They're not listening, obviously, cause they're, they're turds. So, um, send the dog in to, to find them. Well, I sent Cairo in, in this situation, it was two guys on a moped. It was four guys on two mopeds. One helicopter, they, they split, the two mopeds split. One helicopter went after one group, we went after the other group. The two guys went to a tree line in the middle of nowhere. Um, we landed the helicopters, made our way up to the tree line behind this, there happened to be this brick wall, and uh, we took cover behind the brick wall, tried to call them out. They weren't listening. Ended up sitting with Cairo in um, where he could best use his nose to catch wind and their, their odor. So I'm watching him. And since it was a pretty thick tree line, I I lost, I lost visual of him and I'm just trying to make my way down the line of guys uh, behind cover and trying to pick up his silhouette again or strobe. And I eventually hear AK gunshots and those sound significantly different than our gunshots. So I knew that he had probably engaged one of the guys and was getting shot at or, or shot. So I immediately start trying to recall him and, uh, Cairo listened really well. I was, I was very lucky to have such a great listen, listening dog. Um, it was, I just knew after a certain amount of time of him, not recalling that something was wrong because if I I knew I just, we had done so much training together that his recall was on point. So after, you know, it seemed like eternity, but 30 seconds, a minute, minute and a half of time going by, and then he's not coming back. I just knew he was shot or he was dead. Um, I saw that my guys up on the line were shooting, so they were taking care of business. they I didn't need to go up there, so my my, my main priority was um, they did not need me. Was to just keep recalling Cairo, and eventually, I did see him. He had since there was a, a brick wall. He was having trouble. He had been shot through his chest and his leg, and he was having trouble. I guess jumping back over the wall, obviously because he was shot in his leg. Uh, he had to find a break in the wall. I'm assuming in, at some point and. He made his way all the way back, even though he was shot through his leg and his chest, he made his way all the way wherever he found a break in the wall, all the way around the far side and he was coming back to me and it's maybe twenty yards, thirty yards away, and I just see him collapse. And if you know anything about walls or shepherds, they don't they, they don't collapse. just collapse. Yeah, no, that's that's a bad sign. I immediately so thought he was dead.
3: When you y'all get con- y'all make contact with the, the enemy, you send the dog out. Um, and I'm assuming you had done that many, many times mm-hmm. prior. Was there any – I just – I don't know. I can't imagine the feeling of you're not getting compliance. You're kind of – there's a gunfight brewing in the air. Everybody can sense it, and you're sending your partner out kind of by himself to sniff these – to sniff out this threat. What does that feel like? You know, I mean, as as an operator, is that just your tool, and you're using your tool on – No, not to, at all.
0: I was like my kid. Yeah. You grow that bonds it was one of the worst moments of my life when i saw him fall over I'm like i thought he was dead it's kind of weird you compartmentalize and stuff and that's no joke um they say it even if your teammate gets shot in the doorway you don't you, you finish the gunfight first because if you don't mm, sure more people are just going to die right so and then when seeing him collapse like that to compartmentalize and shut everything off was weird i mean it was like sending my kid to get shot um When I saw him die, or I thought he was dead, I was like, okay, cool, he's done. And just move on to the firefight. And I just saw that there was plenty of guys up on the line. There was only two turds in there. It was a secluded tree line. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to figure out that they did not need me up there. And I saw plenty of guys that were much better than me shooting at the bad guys. So I'm like, okay, you guys, like, what am I going to do? Run up there and supervise? But it was weird to see, like, those emotions shut off. Like, okay, he's dead. It is what it is. And then just, like, look at the gunfight gunfights fine and then look back at him and then run right over to him and it was there's all kinds of emotions I guess uh terrible it was the worst moment of my life and like that's weird how I can just immediately shut that off he's dead to it's cool to see looking back on such a terrible situation I know it's not a human but to me he was he was a part of the team he's part of the family so it's cool to see the such a bad situation you train the the, the training that you put in is like how you're going to act when it's real world and just to see that all the training that we had put in and the hours the countless hours paid off um not only did i get over to him and start assessing him but my teammates just the guy knew like he was on the line he was a medic i'm not needed these turds are taken care of he knew cairo needed them i didn't have to ask for help he just kind of like Ran with it. The head shed. As soon as they heard, they were calling in the CASAVAC to come pick him up. As I'm getting out his blowout kit, it was just, it was flawless. Like, I didn't have to say anything. He was there. Next thing you know, I don't even have his gear off yet. I just see, I, I made my way to Cairo and I saw that he was still breathing. And as soon as I come over the radio to say that he's still alive, he's wounded, it's just, that was it. Like, everybody just snapped into action. He came back to help as I'm pulling out his. Cairo had his own blowout kit, his own medical kit, and I had my own. I pull out his and he's there. I hand it to him. As he's breaking out the stuff that he needs, I have his gear off just in time. I like I literally slipped Cairo's muzzle on just in time because he's sticking his hand deep into his chest. And Cairo tried to bite him, and that's not like Cairo, but he was sure. obviously shot. And like wow. it was literally just in time I had Cairo's mu- It was flawless. And as we're doing that, I hear the radio come over for the Medevac to come in or the Kazovac. And uh those helicopter pilots didn't have to come in for a dog either. So it's not just us. Those guys put it on the line too. We're, right. in, a, we're in a gunfight. Wow. I mean, I know it's, it's just a couple guys and it's still in a gunfight. Those guys didn't care. It's a dog. Like It's part of the team. The teammate. Yeah. Sure. So it was just flawless. Like no. Literally just everything just seemed to be working out perfect. As he's getting him stabilized, I see the helicopter coming in. As it's landing, I'm picking him up. I mean, it was um, just such a shitty situation to see how it just – but all that training executed paid off.
3: just flawlessly, Flawless. and that's where that's where all those hours of training that saved ended. his life. 100%. Now, when you're trying to recall him, is that on a is that on an e-collar? It can that be a, buzzer, a beep, it can a beep. be
0: whatever. Every dog's different, just okay. like us. Every person's different. What
3: did Cairo different. respond
0: to? Beep is fine. Cairo was Cairo would not do a verbal. did have to shock I, him very I often. I probably do. So those you know his tritration level was pretty low. So I might give him a little buzz because he's on a live bite, and sometimes it's harder to get him off a live bite. And, but with him, I probably did the. He can't do a verbal too much so I did the beat sure. and if that's not working I give him a little bit of just a little bit of shock mm-hmm. but it's like tapping him on the neck it's not like a blast right. some dogs Need a blast. they get shark eyes I mean literally when I got dog bit I've only been dog bit once and it was a dog that I've been working <laughs> with and I love this dog but he was a uh, he didn't have the switch like Cairo has like where he's He didn't have as much of a switch. Like he could be somewhat friendly, but I don't hundred percent trust you (laughs) because you're a working malinois. And, uh, when he, when he bit me, I'm like, I know you, I know you enough to where I'm like, Hey, his name is Yari. I'm like, Yari Los. And I'm looking into his eyes as I'm, I'm pulling some back pressure. He had me by the knee, And I'm pulling back pressure on his harness. And I'm like, you're Los. And I'm like, I didn't want to mess up the training scenario. And it was my bad. It was my mess up. Totally my fault while I'm getting dog bit. And I'm like, (laughs) I I can just get him. Hey, hey, man, it's me. Look at me. Look at me. It's like, Los, it's me, buddy. Like, we work together all the time. And it was complete shark eyes. And not only did he let go of my knee, he readjusted and got my arm after that. So as soon as he let go of my knee and started latching onto my arm and I saw those shark eyes, I'm like, you were completely (laughs) out of it. So every dog's different. And uh, some dogs might need a little bit more juice. Sure. There was one dog that we had to get rid of. We gave him to a, a police department because he would not recall no matter what you did.
3: Well, that, that's cool. Just give it. Just give,
2: give the, the cops. Yeah, here. This you know, yeah, not gonna work out. We well, we'll the police. Like, <laughs> hey, I like it.
0: Y'all have a little bit more, like you know you so might be able to get to actually. him. <laughs> yeah. Like y'all that might... video
3: you saw, he releases the dog and the suspect's right there. And the dog just goes off. To... Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, right. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I mean, y'all have a little bit, maybe he may a little bit more of a chance to make it, of, sure. you know, of like sending him into the tree line, wherever he's at, he's not coming back. He'll never see him again. But yeah, but eventually that was not going to, we had lost so many dogs that way. And then they do recall, they were just getting shot. Like we lost Falco Cairo got shot. We've lost plenty of dogs that way. So if a dog's not coming back, period, it's just a matter of time so we figured giving him to the police department You got a little bit of a better chance maybe i don't know
3: for the dog survival for the dog survival necessarily the citizens oh yeah no (laughs) we they
0: they all took him no problem like yeah he's a he's a seasoned monster of a dog like yeah you'll take him for sure
2: what would you say will not just that cairo was your dog but uh what made him different from others you talk about yari and uh, how he had shark eyes and he just didn't respond the same but it was it was very clear made clear in the book as you described it that uh, Cairo was not just like the title of the book no ordinary dog he was not an ordinary working dog right and uh, what was different about him
0: so we call it having the switch you put their vest on they turn the switch on it's time to go to work there's no petting him it's complete work mode you don't touch him there's no playtime. he knows the deal not all the dogs can, when you take that vest off, when you get back, turn that switch off. There's some dogs in the kennel that I didn't even open the door to feed. It was like, I slide your plate in, I, I don't break you, I I don't trust you. Your handler and the people that know you are the people that break you. Um, so not all dogs can turn it off. With Cairo, he was, uh, I mean, y'all saw the pictures a little bit earlier with my buddy's kids on the couch after he was retired. Like Not all Balls. Candy That's, that cool. That's a special, be.
3: special dog that has the, the switch. And you just
0: know it's like, just like people. Everybody's yeah. different. You know? Some people can turn it off more and some people can't. And the dogs are the same way. And Cairo was, he was a great working dog. He was very low maintenance. He kept my life a lot, much easier. Much easier. I, I probably didn't deserve him for sure. Um, he was a hard working dog. And not only that, but he when he got home, he could just turn it off and be... Part of the family you know you don't always get that
1: well we want to uh, move forward to a little known operation called operation Neptune spirit but I don't want to rush it so we're gonna go ahead and in part one and then we're gonna continue with a part two of the great fierce will Chesty with speak on the Bin Laden raid and the rest of Cairo and Will's career ready for that sounds good all right